Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are or whenever you are. Welcome to episode seven of our study on the spiritual life. We've been developing this series starting first with a defining the spiritual life. This is where we are, and we just finished last time looking at three of the characteristics of true biblical spirituality. Today, we're going to dig a little deeper as we start to explore two passages in the Bible that speak directly to the spiritual life. In a sense, all scripture, right, speaks on the spiritual life, but these two New Testament passages are quite clear and specific. I'm recording this today from home, where it's a beautiful day outside, and I hope to enjoy it in a bit. So I mentioned digging deeper, deeper into the things of God, and the only way you or I or anyone really can know anything about God is because He has chosen to reveal it to us, both generally in nature. In other words, we can look at creation and see evidence of a creator. On a side note, it's important to understand that this revelation called general revelation, because it's given out generally to all people, is not enough to save a person. Just coming to the conclusion that there is a God out there by observing order in the stars above, for example, is not going to deal with the problem of sin in my life. To make it even clearer, you won't get the gospel, and that's that Jesus died for my sins, for your sins, and rose again on the third day by watching a beautiful sunset. So general revelation is not enough to save, but it is enough to convict those who ignore what it's saying to a person's heart. The Bible is really clear on this. There's your thump. Only a fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's Psalm 14.1. Another great passage that supports this is Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2. In fact, all of Psalm 19. Let me read it to you. Uh, just verse 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. And I love this part right here. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. But thank God, right, that he didn't just reveal himself generally, but he has revealed himself specially through his word, the Bible, especially to you and me. You know, I always find it interesting that we call the Bible the, quote, word of God, and that God created everything in nature by his word, as John 1 teaches. So God spoke, words again, the universe and everything in it into existence. And we know further that Jesus, the incarnate word of God, is the one who brought us salvation. It's such an amazingly simple, but also beautifully complex tapestry he has woven for us and for our salvation. You know, I remember when I was in college, I got to sell rugs for two days at Woody's or Woodruff and Lothrop. I think I have, that's how you pronounce it. It's a no longer in business department store out in the East Coast. I really was not qualified to sell anything, especially high-priced rugs, but they needed a body there. And I ended up selling a really expensive rug on one of my two days in this department. One thing I remember while waiting for customers is looking behind the rugs as they hung there. You could always tell the ones that were machine-made. They looked good front and back. The back was so uniform and perfect, but the handmade ones had something really special about them. Especially the back was so complex, like it was telling you a story of the person that made it. You could see the effort and work that went into it. There was a hand that did all that, right? So one side beautiful and the other also, but in a completely different way. In the end, though, only one side is what we call a rug. 
I don't know if this is a good analogy, but general and special revelation, but there it is. Only one can save, and that is the rug side, okay? So we can only know God because he has revealed himself to us, both generally in nature and specially through his word. The word here being the second person of the Trinity, and by his spirit, the third person of the, of the Trinity. Now, if you're Jewish and you happen to be listening in, don't freak out. I don't believe in three gods. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. And this Echad, this one, God is one, but he has three distinct persons within this one. So let's turn to the first of the two specific passages of the scripture that speak about the spiritual life. We're going to explore these in depth, but today we're just doing an overview of this first one, giving you a little background. Okay, here we go. Here's your Bible thumb. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 through 1 Corinthians 3, verse 4. I'm not going to read all of it, just uh, three of those uh, uh, verses of that series. Thank God for the Corinthian church, right? They were pretty messed up, but we can have them as an object lesson and learn so much. I'm not going to read the whole entire passage again, but simply summarize some points for us, okay? Remember, this is a abridged oral version, an AOV of the excellent study on the spiritual life available at ariel.org, so go there. The context is of this passage is Paul explaining that the wisdom of God, the deep things of God, are not like the things or wisdom of this world. In fact, from the world's perspective, they seem pretty lame or stupid. Who can imagine a crucified hero, right? Remember that the crucifixion was a form of capital punishment reserved for the worst criminals in the Roman world. It's so bad that Roman citizens couldn't have it. A slow, naked, and humiliating and public death. Like one commentator said, it would be similar, not the same, but similar to me telling you to believe that a guy that was executed by the electric chair or lethal injection was a great hero that we should emulate and follow. It just does not compute. But then this person explains that this criminal, he actually died in my place instead of me. Then things change completely, don't they? And when we believe this to be true in the sacrifice of Jesus, Things do change completely, don't they? When I realize that I was the one that deserved the electric chair or the lethal injection, the crucifixion, that the sen sentence was pronounced on me, but that instead of me, Jesus died. Wow. When I trust him, I am saved from that death. I am justified, which means just like I never sinned before. I'm free from sin. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But it doesn't end there. It gets better. How can it be, right? You see, we're all called to live not only with this amazing past, our justification, just like we never sinned before, but in the present. We're made holy, sanctified as theologians call it, sanctification. It means being made to be like Jesus in practice, not just in position, and why, you ask? Because our future is glorious. We get to be in heaven, and that's our glorification, and that's ultimately our home. So let me read verses 9, 10, and 11 of that passage in 1 Corinthians. Here's the Bible thumb. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has has revealed to us by his spirit. Some people misinterpret this passage and think it's related to heaven. Not quite. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. 
For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. I'm going to stop there. You can read the rest of that passage on your own. So if you got all fired up, and were rejoicing with me as I spoke about this wondrous salvation that the Lord has granted us, then that response of your heart, my dear brother and sister, is evidence that the Spirit of God is in you. You are saved. You are heaven-bound. If that doesn't get you fired up, nothing in this world will. God has begun to reveal to you the deep things of His own heart. Boy, it is a big heart, so full of love. In fact, God is love. You know, I'm in awe of God. No wonder people fell to their face in seeing the resurrected Jesus. He is overwhelming. God is overwhelming. So in verse 11, which was the last little bit I read, Paul states the obvious. Thoughts have no being on their own. Let me read it again. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So the only way I can know your thoughts, because they don't have being on their own, I can't see them, is if we have a heart-to-heart -heart talk. And the only way you can know my thoughts is if we have a heart-to-heart -heart talk. But God is not satisfied with just talking to us, right? He outdoes this by a factor of infinity. <laughs> I could only... Imagine what my son would say to this. He's a bit of a brainiac. You can't have a factor of infinity, I think. Um, God puts himself in us. Well, all things are possible with God. God puts himself in us, inside us. And we now have, not will have, have the mind of Jesus, the mind of the Messiah. I can almost hear you say, man, you don't know the evil thoughts I've had in my mind. How can I have the mind of Jesus? But if you rejoice with the above, you do. You have the Spirit of God in you. It's a fact, Jack. Deal with it, okay? God is so wise, He put this amazing, indescribable gift in this old jar of clay so that I, so that we, can know that the glory is all His and none mine, none yours, none ours. This makes the whole casting of our crowns in heaven a lot more understandable, I think. So what are these deep things of God that Paul talks about? Is it knowledge? Is it wisdom? Does it involve a secret handshake? Does it mean I know it and you don't, and therefore at church I get to look down and you say, I follow Arnold Fruchtemom, or I follow whoever. Therefore, I have something and I am something special. No, 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 no. Fundamental deep thing of God. The fundamental deep thing of God is Jesus and Him crucified. Something promised, yet concealed to a degree in the Old Testament, and now revealed in the new, in the flesh. So let's bring this to a close and briefly outline where we're going from here. So the next episode, we will touch on five things that this, one of the two passages that speaks to the spiritual life, covers. Today, we just did a summary, okay? So tune in next time. By the way, no outline this time, just a podcast. I want to go enjoy the day outside. So shalom, that means peace.